Should I ever need reminding what power set me free? There's a grave that holds no body. Now that power lives in me. That's why we're here today. Because the grave is empty. The tomb is empty. And the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives inside of you and me today. It's the spirit by which we approach God to worship him. It's the spirit that empowers us in every aspect of our lives. And that's what we're going to begin looking at today. Uh, Welcome to Christ Community Church. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors. If you're with us here in person or watching online, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, As you know, we just finished a series. If you've been with us, you know we just finished a series called The Resurrected Life. And we've been looking at these key passages in the New Testament that, that look at what does the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago and half a world away mean for my life in the here and now. And, and, and we saw last week at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we saw how the death and resurrection of Jesus leads us to join him in his mission of declaring his good news in Chautauqua County and to the ends of the earth. And we heard him promise his followers, I am going to send the Holy Spirit upon you to empower you for this mission. Because as we saw last week, God's mission is God's mission. God's the one who accomplishes it, and, and he empowers us by his spirit to be part of that mission. And so that's why today, coming off the heels of that, we're going to begin a new series today in the book of Acts called Come Holy Spirit. Now, depending on what church tradition you grew up in, maybe you've heard that, that phrase before. It's, it's a prayer that the church has been praying literally since the beginning. Since the days, in the early days of the book of Acts that we're going to look at, when the followers of Jesus were waiting for him to send the Holy Spirit upon them. And yet, 2,000 years later, it's still a prayer for us to pray today. Because even though Jesus sent his Spirit to fill his followers 2,000 years ago, even though we already have the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we're followers of Jesus, what we tend to do is we tend to forget about the Holy Spirit. We, we tend to just kind of live daily life, live the Christian life, do church even in our own power instead of trusting in power from on high. And so what I want to do over the next seven weeks is I want to go back to the early chapters of the book of Acts. And I want to see what it looks like when Jesus sends his spirit to fill his followers and sends them out on his mission to take his good news to the end of the earth. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 today. Beginning of the the book of Acts, Luke, who was a a doctor, um, who was also a follower of Jesus, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. He says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, the book of Acts is kind of like the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. There are really two volumes of one historical work that Luke is writing about Jesus and how Jesus has turned the world upside down. If you look in verse 1, he, says, he addresses the book to this guy named Theophilus. Now, we don't know much about Theophilus. Most scholars think that Theophilus was probably a wealthy patron who was interested in Christianity, who commissioned Luke to research it and to write this history of early Christianity. And what's interesting is how Luke starts the book of Acts. Look at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that he began to do and teach. See, the gospel of Luke teaches what Jesus began to do and teach, but the book of Acts shows us what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. The book of Acts shows us how Jesus continues his mission, even if after he is taken up into heaven, his mission of bringing salvation to the world and making all things new. That's why I've entitled this sermon, The Acts of the Risen King. The Acts of the Risen King, because this passage and the entire book of Acts is driving home the point that Jesus is the king. That he is the king who has conquered sin and death and hell through his death and resurrection and has risen to the right hand of the Father and is seated on the throne of heaven and has poured out his spirit to bring salvation to the world. And that's really important for us to get. Up front here, it is Jesus who advances his church. It is Jesus who builds his kingdom. Because here's how we act sometimes as Christians. Sometimes we think Jesus did his thing back then, and now it's time for us to do our thing. Pastors are the worst at this. We feel this pressure to make something happen. So, so let me just say this as clearly as I can. Your job as a follower of Jesus is not to make something happen for Jesus. My job as a pastor is not to make something happen for Jesus. Our job as a church is not to make something happen for Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes things happen in the kingdom of God. And our job is to respond to him and participate in what he is doing. Because when it comes down to it, this is not first and foremost your church. And it's not first and foremost my church. It is first and foremost Jesus' church. Jesus is our senior pastor. Jesus is the one who accomplishes his mission through us. And it doesn't mean that we're lazy. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Over the next few weeks, we're actually going to see how Jesus calls us to participate in what he is doing. But, but it's important for us to understand up front, Jesus is the one who advances his kingdom and builds his church. And everything we do, we do in desperate dependence on him. That's so important for us to get right now at this particular moment. As our society starts to open back up, as, as hopefully we're able to start gathering soon with fewer restrictions, there's, there's going to be this tendency that we're going to have to try to come up with some killer strategic plan. Let, let's do something. Let's, let's make something happen. And there's nothing wrong with planning. It is good and right to plan. But the kingdom of God does not advance based on our plans. It does not advance based on what we make happen. It's Jesus who advances his kingdom, and we join in what he is doing. It's the acts of the risen king. 
And we're going to see three things about that today. Three things about the acts of the risen king. Three things about what Jesus is doing in his world by the power of the Spirit. We're going to see that it's a historical reality. It's a supernatural reality or a supernatural power and a world-changing mission. Historical reality. Look at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I find verse 3 really interesting. He presented himself alive by many proofs. We saw this at the end of the Gospel of Luke last week. We see it again here in Acts. Most of Jesus' early followers were skeptical about the resurrection. They didn't believe Jesus could really be alive. So for 40 days after he rises from the dead, he's showing them proof that he's alive. He's talking with them. He's eating with them. At one point, he tells the, the apostle Thomas to touch the nail scars in his hands, to touch the scar in his side. Jesus is so patient with our doubts. And so if you've got doubts or questions about this today, you're actually in really good company. And you can honestly explore whether the resurrection is true. These earliest followers of Jesus, they didn't believe it at first, but over time, Jesus convinced them that it was true. And if Jesus has really risen from the dead, they realized, then this changes everything. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then not only is his resurrection a historical reality, but his kingdom is a historical reality. If Jesus has risen from the dead in history, then that means that the kingdom of God is breaking into human history. The kingdom of God is not some otherworldly utopia. It's not some heightened plane of consciousness. It's not some sense of inner peace. It is a real flesh and blood reality for our world. It is as real as the flesh and blood of the crucified and risen Christ. Jesus' resurrection shows that the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth here and now. It's a historical reality. But not only is it historical, it's also supernatural. Because the kingdom comes through supernatural power. That's the second thing we see. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus has been talking with his disciples about the kingdom of God for 40 days after his resurrection. For three years before his death and resurrection, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. As first century Jewish men and women, they had heard about the kingdom of God their entire lives. For centuries, their ancestors had been waiting and looking and longing for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, I would go so far as to say that that's true of all of human history. For all of human history, we have been trying to build the kingdom of God ever since the garden in Genesis 3 because we know that the world is so broken and we desperately want to see it made right. And so we try all kinds of things to make it happen. Economic wealth, social programs, political movements, scientific progress, 
I, I just started rereading Frankenstein by, by Mary Shelley. Um, I read it when, when I was in high school. I'm rereading it again because I think it's so applicable for our day. So if, if you've never read the novel, maybe you're thinking like of the movie with some like Night of the Living Dead character with the flathead and the stuff sticking out his necks and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but the novel is actually deeply insightful. It explores some really profound questions because in it, Mary Shelley shows what happens when we try to play God. She tells us the story of Victor Frankenstein. He thinks he's discovered the secret of life, and now he can overcome death. And the reason this novel is so profound is because it shows what we all try to do as human beings in one way or another. We think we can bring life out of death. But in the end, our creations end up destroying us and destroying everything we hold dear. That's, that's true with money, science, politics, whatever you trust in other than the one true God. And listen, those things are not necessarily bad. But if you think those things will save you, they will end up destroying you. But I actually bring it up here because I also think it's true of the way that we do church. We desperately want God's kingdom to come. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the reason we moved back to Chautauqua County. This is what gets me up most mornings, besides my kids jumping on the beds, which is what happened early this morning. But there's this, this desire, this desire for God's kingdom to come in Chautauqua County as it is in heaven. Like, I was just talking to Patty. It was one year ago today that we had this marathon meeting over in the AC with the pastor search team and, and with the elders. And it's a beautiful day today, but one year ago today, it was snowing. We didn't move back here for the weather. We moved back here to see the kingdom of God break in. But there's a danger there, isn't there? There's a danger that our zeal can lead us to try to do things in our own strength. Where we try to go out and we try to build some great church or some great movement of the gospel and we try to create life without the life-giving, resurrecting power of the spirit of the living God. So, so we get an arm over here and we get a leg over here and we get an eyeball over here and we try to sew this thing together and, and we give it a jolt. Fire up the fog machine, like shoot some lasers at it, figure out how to get the 1.21 gigawatts that you need to make this thing work. And that's how our culture conditions us to build the church. That's how we try to build the kingdom. But if you read the book of Acts, the main character is not Peter or Paul or James or John or any of the other apostles. The main character is Jesus. It's the risen Christ who pours out his spirit on his followers and sends them out to testify to what he is doing. So we testify to what Jesus has done, what he is doing, what he will do, and we cry out for him to fill us with power from on high because the kingdom is not something that we manufacture, something that Jesus builds. That's why he tells them here, wait for the Holy Spirit. That's why we're starting this series today because we need the power and the presence of Jesus if we're going to accomplish the mission that he has given us. Because as we said, God's mission is God's mission. And here's the thing about God's mission. God's mission is perfectly designed to fail if God doesn't show up. And that freaks some of us out. So here's what we do. We settle for less than God's mission. We settle for something we can create in our laboratories with our resources. Something we think we can control. Something we can manage. Something we can manufacture 
Like I've been around enough churches. I've seen enough ministries. You can build a big church. You can do a lot of religious things, and you can do it merely by human means. You can do a lot of good things that are not God things. And so you connect in the right networks. You get your branding just right. You map out your killer strategic plan. You, you figure out some gimmick to get people in the door, and you succeed in doing something that would have worked with or without the power and the presence of God. And I don't want to waste my life doing something like that. I, I want to be part of something that can only be explained by power from on high. Friends, that's what God is inviting us into. Because he hasn't just called us and, and sent us into the world to play church or to be nice, comfortable, religious people. His mission is a world-changing mission. That's the third reality of what the risen king is doing in the world today. It is a world-changing mission. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, their question makes perfect sense. Remember, Jesus has spent his entire ministry declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he dies and he rises again and he spends 40 more days talking about the kingdom of God. The guy has defeated death itself. So it makes sense for them to say, hey, is this the time? Is this the moment we've been waiting for? And in one sense, it is but not in the way they were expecting. See, their view of the kingdom was too small. They still had a nationalistic view of the kingdom, but Jesus has a global view for his kingdom. They thought Jesus is going to reign on the throne of Jerusalem. Jesus says, I'm about to reign on the throne of heaven. I'm going to ascend. You see it in verses 9 through 11. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and then I'm going to advance my kingdom through you to the ends of the earth. Verse 8, key verse here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you read the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew prophets looked forward to a time when God would pour out his spirit on his people and would make them a light to the nations, Isaiah 49, 6. And, and that's what Jesus says he is doing here in verse 8. He says, I will make you a light to the nations, to bear witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, the kingdom of God has come to earth. And it's simultaneously bigger and smaller than anything we ever expected. It's smaller because it doesn't show up with worldly power political might, military force. It shows up in simple day-by-day -day faithfulness. It shows up as you and I live humble lives of mercy and justice and love. It shows up in simply sharing the gospel of Jesus and inviting other people to find life in him. It's smaller than what they were expecting, but it's also bigger than what they were expecting. Because the kingdom of Jesus goes down deep. It takes root in the human heart. It goes deeper than any other change agent. It doesn't just change us on the outside. It changes us on the inside. It changes us at the core of our beings. And then it changes us on the outside. It changes the way that we live. And then it even goes further. It goes out into society. It changes the structures and the systems of society because it changes the way that we love our neighbors and seek justice for the weak and the poor and the oppressed. The kingdom of Jesus changes everything. And Jesus says, I'm not just going to do this in one corner of the earth. 
but I'm going to bring my kingdom to all nations. Verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem and Judea, but also in Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that word witness is really important because we do not build the kingdom of God. We bear witness to the kingdom that Jesus is building. We testify about what Jesus has done and is doing and will do to bring salvation to the world. And and that word witness, we talked about this a little last week, but it doesn't mean that we just say words. Now, that's important. That's necessary. We've got to open our mouths and proclaim the good news, but that's also not all there is. Actually, if you read the book of Acts, you find that the primary thing that Jesus is doing in the here and now is he is building a new community. He is building a new society. He is building this countercultural community of holy love. And so part of bearing witness to Jesus is living out the gospel in our daily lives, is living as citizens of the kingdom of heaven who are waiting for Jesus to bring the kingdom in fullness, who live lives of love and mercy and justice and righteousness and holiness and self-sacrifice and joy and all these things that are marks of the kingdom of God. We testify to what Jesus has done. We witness to the reality of Christ's kingdom with words of truth and with deeds of love because all of our lives are meant to preach this good news. And Jesus says, you're not just gonna do this here in Jerusalem, but he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, now that specific geography is really important because it reflects the Old Testament promises of the restoration of the kingdom of God. It shows that Jesus is restoring the kingdom of God to earth. Don't have time to read it today. Um, I encourage you sometime this week, uh, read Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, I know most of you were thinking, I really need to read some Ezekiel in my quiet time this week. Um, But definitely check out Ezekiel 37, because Ezekiel 37 looks forward to this time when God is going to breathe his spirit into the dry, dead bones of his people, and he's going to raise them to life. And then he's going to unite the two kingdoms. He's going to unite the southern kingdom of Judah, or Judea, with the northern kingdom of Samaria, and he's going to unite them under the rule of of, of a son of David, of a descendant of David, who then is going to extend that kingdom to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says in Acts 1-8, that's what I'm doing. I'm fulfilling Ezekiel 37. I'm restoring the kingdom. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed son of David who has defeated sin and death and hell. I am about to ascend to the throne of the universe, and I am going to be king in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's what Jesus has been doing For the last 2,000 years, he has been extending his kingdom through his church. That's why you and I are sitting here today. And that's what he calls us to be a part of. You know, know, sometimes when we talk about God's global mission, we forget the fact that we do not just take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. Like, Fredonia, New York is a long way from Jerusalem. And, And unless you're Jewish, you and I are the nation's. We've been brought into God's family. And now he sends us out to welcome other people into his family. That's the motivation for mission. It's not that we're insiders and other people are outsiders. The motivation for mission is that we were all outsiders. 
We were all hopelessly cut off from God. But through his death and resurrection, Jesus has brought us into the family of God. And now he sends us out to welcome people of every tribe and tongue and nation into that family. You know, the truth is sometimes, as specifically this happens with us as American Christians, we tend to get so myopic and we miss out on what God is doing throughout the world. And then we start freaking out because maybe it feels like Christianity is losing some cultural clout here in America. But the fact is that Christianity is growing around the world. But the places where Christianity is growing, the places where it's most vibrant are not Western countries. And the strongest churches are not quote-unquote white churches. Do you know what country is seeing the fastest growth in Christianity in the world today? Iran. Iran. Christianity is growing around the world. And American Christianity, we're just a small sliver of what God is doing in the world. We are part of something bigger. We are part of something global. We are part of something cosmic. And God welcomes us into his global mission of extending his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So we got to ask ourselves today, how are we joining in his mission? How are we bearing witness to what Jesus is doing in the world? And let me say this. This does not mean you got to go to another country. You don't need a stamp in your passport to do this. God has called us to be faithful where we are. Remember, we are the ends of the earth, and you don't live where you live by accident. You don't work where you work by accident. You don't go to school where you go to school by accident. Jesus has strategically sent you to your job, to your neighborhood, to your family, to your school. He has intentionally placed people around you, and he wants to use you to invite them into his family. So just keep your eyes open. What if we just went through the week just praying, God, open my eyes to who you want me to introduce to you? who you want me to share the good news of the gospel with because you have no idea who God might save. Back in 2014, I, I had the opportunity to meet a guy that, that we just call Q. Um, his, his name starts with Q, but we can't use his full name because it's actually not safe to use his full name. Q is from a, a large tribe in Central Asia. He was actually, at the, at the time, it was the largest unreached, unengaged people group in the world. Here's what that means. It means that there were 12 million people like Q. There are 12 million people in his tribe, 12 million people who shared the same ethnicity and the same language and the same cultural background as Q. And not one of them was a follower of Jesus. Not one. And so what that means is that the odds are very good that if you are born into that tribe, you will be born and you will live and you will die and you will never hear the good news of Jesus. But Q came to college in America, and he started trying to learn English, and he started practicing his English with a group of Christians, and they invited him over for Christmas dinner, and they shared the gospel with him. And today, Q is a missionary back in his home country taking the gospel of Jesus to people who had never heard. And, and those people who introduced Q to Jesus didn't do anything heroic they didn't travel around the world. They didn't preach to a stadium full of people. They welcomed a lonely college student into their homes. And they practiced English with him. And they shared the good news of Jesus. And today, Jesus is being worshipped by a group of people who previously had never heard of him. Let's just be faithful with the opportunities where the, the Lord has given you. 
And be on the lookout for more opportunities to share this good news. Wherever you go, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at the playground, at the ball field, wherever you go, God's spirit is inside of you. The power and the presence of Jesus is going with you. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is advancing his kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is invading our world. He has sent us with the supernatural power of his spirit into our hearts to empower us for this world-changing mission. So let's join him. Let's join him. It doesn't have to be big, extravagant things. Just where we are, let's join him with desperate dependence and unshakable confidence because he has clothed us with power from on high. Let's pray and ask him for his help. Lord Jesus, we know that your kingdom is not something that we manufacture. It's not something that we create. God, we confess that we spend our lives trying to build these other kingdoms. Spend our lives trying to make things right in the world, or if not right in the world, at least right in our world. And we think that by our by our intellect or by our resources or by the sweat of our brow, we can, we can make these things happen. We can make things right. And Father, I confess that, that we even do this in the church. That as a pastor, this is a major temptation for me to think that, that what really matters is our abilities or our resources or our power or our ingenuity. God, what we need is your power. We need the power and the presence of Jesus inside of us. God, I could stand up here and preach this sermon all day long, but if you don't, if you don't make it take root, if you don't put it down in our hearts and cause it to catch fire, then nothing happens. We can have all these plans, and and Lord, we want to be faithful. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, even even in the mundane. Help us to be faithful. But also, Lord, would you you infuse our everyday lives with a sense of purpose, with a sense of mission, with a sense of your power and your presence with us. Lord, we pray that we would see this. Lord, I pray that this week you would be connecting us with people who you want to welcome into your family who you want to bring into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would help us live lives of holy love that that make people wonder why there is something so, so different and so amazing about this Jesus. And then I pray that you would give us the courage to open our mouths and I pray that you would supernaturally take the words of the gospel, take the seed of the gospel and plant it in people's hearts and cause it to bear fruit. And let us see your kingdom come in Chautauqua County as it is in heaven. We want that, God. We hunger for that, but we can't create it. We need you to clothe us with power from on high. And so we pray for it in the name of the crucified and risen King. Amen. Key verse this week is Acts 1.8. This is another one of those verses that really kind of encapsulates what God has done and is doing in the world until Jesus returns. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends 
of the earth. So let's live with that mindset this week that Jesus, like when you go, when you go to Tops or you go to or wherever it is you go, like it's not just I'm doing this daily thing, but this is part of Jesus sending me to take his, his good news to the ends of the earth. So let's go with that framework this week. Send you out with our benediction. Benediction is just a, a prayer of blessing for the road. Let's stand and receive this from Psalm 46. Um, I, I intentionally chose this because I think sometimes what happens when we talk about mission is that sometimes we can get really frenetic. And we can just get really um, anxious almost. I got to do X. I got to do Y. I got to make something happen. But, but also, ultimately, it's a call to rest to rest in Jesus and to go into the world with his rest. And so hear this from Psalm 46 and take this with you as you go out this week. Be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Peace be with you. Have a great week.